you as well as your pastor. And the doctor said something that I absolutely love. He said, everyone needs three homes. They need a family home, they need a church home, and they need a heavenly home. And all three homes, the key to all three of them, is a personal right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know that if you trust in Jesus and make him Lord of your life and begin following him, it's going to make a huge difference in your family home. If you trust in Jesus and make him Lord of your life and begin following him, it'll certainly make a difference in your church home. If you trust in Jesus and you begin following him, you can look forward to your heavenly home. So all three homes we need, and the key to all three, is a personal right relationship with Christ himself. Now I'm thankful that Jesus has made himself available to us by grace through faith. And all who trust in him um, can have the home that, uh, that he wants us to have. I truly believe that if we do the family, if we do life God's way. Now what we've been talking about basically though, primarily, is the family home. We've been looking into the word of God and seeing what God's word says to us concerning the family. Now, how do you believe God's word is a living word? This is not just ancient writings to an ancient people. This word is alive and well. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 12, it's quick, it's alive, it's powerful. And it's able to touch my heart and to touch your heart, to change me, to change you, as we make application of God's word to ourselves. So this morning what I want to do is give you a picture straight from the absolute truth of the Word of God of what an ideal home looks like. Now when I say an ideal home, I, I'm not saying normal home. It's not going to be normal by today's standards, by no means. But when I say ideal, I mean this is the home that God created homes to be. If you want to see a picture of God's ideal home, it's found in Psalm 128. Now what I want to do, what I'm praying for, what I'm uh, believing God for, is that by taking the truth of God's word, I can take what I see in the, in the picture here in Psalm 128 and make it a reality in my life. As I take God's truth and apply it to myself, as my family takes God's truth and we apply it to ourselves, we can take the picture of an ideal home and make it a reality to us. That's what I want for me, and as your pastor, that's what I want for you. I think that can certainly be possible. We can take confidence in the Word of God as we apply it to ourselves, that it's going to change us to be what God wants us to be. That's the power of God's Word. <laughs> now, a harmonious home is a happy home. If you believe that, say amen. And the home that we see pictured here in Psalm 128 is truly a happy home. So this morning, I want to speak to you on the subject of homemade happiness. Everything is better when it's homemade, and when it comes to happiness, that certainly is true. Psalm 128, starting in verse number 1, let's look at what God's Word says to us. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord and walks in His ways. If you believe it, say amen. And then he goes on to tell us, For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord. Verse 5, I love this. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of of thy life. What a promise. Let's pray together. Father, we again love you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that you've done for us 
what we cannot do for ourselves. I'm thankful that by grace through faith we can trust in you and really experience the abundant life that you've promised. Lord, I'm thankful that you can make a difference in our home. And Lord, that's what we want. We want a harmonious home. We want a happy home. And Father, we want to be what you want us to be as husbands and fathers and wives and mothers and children. God, help us to look to you and apply your truth to our lives so that the picture we see in your word might become a reality for us. Lord, I'm praying that you speak to hearts, change lives, do what only you are capable of doing, convict where conviction is needed. We pray, Holy Spirit, and we pray that you comfort where comfort is needed. But Lord, we're asking that you would do your work among your people because you're the only one that can do it. If the work's going to get done, Lord, you've got to do it, and I'm praying that you start with me. Speak to me, speak through me, use me for your honor and your glory. Lord, I can do nothing without you, but I believe all things are possible through you. So Lord, would you have your weight, have your will, and for these things we're going to praise you, for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray, and for your sake, amen. Now there's three things that I want us to see here in Psalm 128. First of all, I want you to see the foundation of a happy home. I want you to see the fun in a happy home. And then we're going to see the future of a happy home. So let's look at the foundation. The foundation is found, first of all, in verses 1 and 2. We see that in a happy home, a harmonious home, a home that's pictured here, an ideal home, the, the thing that you need is a godly husband. You've you got to have a godly husband if you're going to have the ideal household that God is speaking of here. And you say, well, brother, what's that mean for me? I mean, I don't have a husband, but I still have a family. Maybe we've got some uh, single wives or, excuse me, single mothers here uh, this morning, or we've got some single moms that are watching on the internet, whatever the case may be. L let me encourage you with this. Even though you may not be in an ideal situation, I can tell you this. By the grace of God, you can still have a happy home. See, and that's what it takes for all of us to have this harmonious, happy home, the grace of God. That's what it takes for me, and that's what it takes for you. Um, and, and I'm telling you, God's grace is available for each and every one of us. So even though your situation may not be ideal, it can certainly be blessed. It can certainly be happy. It can certainly be harmonious. As long as you continually look to the Lord and follow Him. Take Him and put Him in, as first priority in your life. God will bless your home even though it may not be ideal. But let me tell you this. Now, let, let me say something to you, single mamas. I want you to know the, the uh, influence of a godly man in your child's life is of extreme importance. See, mamas, if you've got sons, I want you to know, single mothers, you, you can teach your, your sons a whole lot about life. You really can. But what you can't teach them is how to be a man. You can't teach them how to be a godly man. What your sons need is a godly influence from godly men. Can you say amen? And that's not just true for sons. It's certainly true for daughters. The, the, the greatest influence... In a, in a child's life is that of, of, of a godly man. And so I want you to know you need that. And if you don't have that in a husband, you, maybe you can find that um, at your local church. Matter of fact, that's where you should find it. I'm telling you something. If, if you don't have a husband in the home, a godly husband, you must, you need to keep your kids plugged into a local Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Christ-following church so that they can be around godly men. 
I tell you, mamas, if you're a single mother and you're raising sons and you don't have a godly husband, bring your sons to men's group. Let them see what godly men do on a regular basis. Get them in church. Keep them plugged in to the family of God. That's what we're here for, can you say amen? To meet needs. To do what God has called us to do, which is to, first of all, love Him and then love people. But ideally, listen, the, 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 the home that's being pictured here in Psalm 128 is that with a godly husband. So what does it mean that we, you have a godly husband or that you are a godly husband? Well, first and foremost, a godly husband is one who has trusted in Jesus as his personal Savior and has made Christ Lord of his life. Now it's about what Jesus wants, not what I want. Now it's about what he plans for me, not what I plan for me. Now it's about his desires and not my desires. Can you say amen? That's a godly husband, one who has come under the comprehensive rule of Jesus and, listen, recognizes the authority of Christ in his life. A godly husband is one who loves his wife as Christ loves the church. A godly father is a father who raises his children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We've talked about all of that in the last few weeks. But we just need to understand and realize. Look, folks, listen to me. This godly husband who's been given spiritual headship in the home must keep Christ first in his life and come under the rule of Jesus if he wants his family to come under his rule in the home. You need a godly husband, the Bible says in verse Number one in verse number two. But then it says you need a faithful wife in verse number three. It says the wife will be like a vine in the center of the home. And that wife will, will be fruitful. You need a faithful, fruitful wife. I'm telling you something. When you've got a husband who loves Christ and, and treats his wife, loves his wife as Christ loves the church, then you'll have a faithful wife that comes under the submission of the headship of her husband. That's the way God has set this up. That's the way God has, has called it to happen. And the Bible says when you operate in that way, when you keep things in proper spiritual alignment, that there'll be fruit in the home. It'll be like a fruitful vine. A faithful, fruitful wife. And then the Bible says when you've got a godly husband and you've got a faithful, fruitful wife, you'll have happy, productive children. It says the children will be like olive plants around your table. I love that. I want to talk to you just a moment about the olive plant. I've done some research just this past week on olive trees. Do you know that it takes a, a little while to nourish an olive tree from the time it's planted to the time it starts to bear fruit? It usually takes about three or four years with proper nourishment and proper care for that olive tree to actually start bearing fruit. But now when it starts bearing fruit, especially in the Middle East where the rider is riding at there in the, in the land of Israel, that becomes a very... Um, uh, important thing for the family because it, provi it provides financial means like, like nothing else. See, one of the greatest commodities in the Middle East right now is still uh, the olive tree, the, the olive oil that's sold there. Now, it may take about three or four years for that olive tree to begin bearing fruit, but if it's cared for after that properly, it can bear fruit for thousands of years. I learned just last week that some of the olive trees that are still bearing fruit in the land of Israel right now were alive when Jesus was alive. That's amazing to me. 
So what is the picture here? When the Bible says your children will become like olive trees, they will be fruitful and make a difference in the world they live in. They will be productive uh, in the world that they live in, not just while you've got them in your care around your table, but for years to come. When a godly father, a godly husband, a faithful, fruitful wife raise up godly children, usually those godly children will raise up godly children. And then what's happening? Well, what's happening is just what God commanded Adam to do all the way back in Genesis, which was to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, spreading the image of God all over the face of planet earth. Can you say amen to that? But it's all about the home. It's all about the home. The foundation of a happy home as a godly husband, a faithful, fruitful wife, and then producing those happy, productive children. That's what the Bible is teaching here. Now, if we've said before, and I still believe it to be true according to the Word of God, a, the home is the foundation for the nation, for any society. Well, if, if that's true, and I believe it to be, then it's no surprise to me that Satan is continually attacking the home in today, today like never before. Since 2015, traditional marriage has been attacked like never before. 2015, we got the Obergefell decision from the United States Supreme Court, which made it legal for same-sex marriages to be recognized in all 50 states. I never thought I would see the day that we would say it's okay, it's right and just for a man to marry a man and for a woman to marry a woman, but we're here. Now let me tell you something. I've heard a lot in the last five, six years and before then about the redefinition of marriage. Let me make something extremely clear to you. Marriage does not need redefining. God is the one who created marriage as the first institution. The institution of marriage and the family was created long before the church. Now, let me tell you something. Opinions may change. Feelings may change. What's popular may change. But let me tell you what does not change, the Word of God. God has not changed His opinion on marriage. Marriage is still to be one man and one woman in a committed relationship, entering into a covenant relationship with God Himself. That's what God says. We don't need to redefine it. Anything other than one man and one woman coming into a committed relationship, listen to me, is not what God says marriage is. And since he's the creator of marriage, we got to call that something else. God calls it sin. It may not be popular today, but it's still truth. It's still truth. Now listen to me. It's no accident or coincidence that the enemy is attacking marriage. For if you attack marriage, you can certainly tear down the home. And if you tear down the home, you tear down the, faith, the foundation of the nation. It's no accident or coincidence that the enemy today is attacking masculinity like never before. How many of you heard so much about toxic masculinity in today's culture? I hear it all the time. I'm sure you've heard it as well. Let me tell you this. If there's one thing we need right now more than ever, we need some masculine men who are godly men who are willingly, knowingly, listen to me, faithfully leading their families to Jesus instead of away from Jesus. Nothing wrong with being a man. 
I'm thankful I'm a man. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes when we see masculinity being attacked, we see it demonized. Folks, we need some men of honor that are willing to stand for truth now more than ever. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. I'm not talking about arrogance and uh, controlled by ego. That's not what I'm saying. That's false masculinity. I'm talking about godly men, men of honor, a man's man who's willing to stand when it's not popular for what he's standing for. We need that today more than ever. It's no, it's no accident or coincidence that the enemy is attacking masculinity. It's no accident or coincidence that the enemy is attacking children like never before. I'm telling you. Something made me sick to my stomach that I read just a few weeks ago. Do you know right now in the United States of America, there is a program going on in a whole lot of public schools that allows drag queens to come in and read to elementary school children. It's called the Drag Queen Story Hour. If you don't believe me, look it up. When I'm, I'm talking about a man dressed as a woman coming in to read to elementary school kids. Like, what is that doing? All that's doing is normalizing what God calls sin. It's normalizing in their little minds what God has said is an abomination. That ought to bother you. Do you know that me and you as believers, we can't go into our local school with a Bible and teach these children about the love of Christ, but we're allowing drag queens to come in and read to them storybooks? If that don't bother you, it ought to. That's no accident or coincidence. Satan is attacking the family like never before. He's attacking our children. Not just in schools, but just last week I heard that one of the popular shows on Nickelodeon, Blue's Clues. Anybody ever heard of Blue's Clues? My daughter, Anna Kate, loved Blue's Clues. I remember we had a Blue's Clues party when she was about three or four years old. Do you know what's going on on Blue's Clues right now? You know that they've actually got a segment in Blue's Clues where they have a drag queen reading to kids in that as well? All of this is geared toward normalizing Sin to your kids, to my kids. Why? Because Jesus said this, the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. If he can create confusion and chaos, if he can destroy the foundation, he can destroy the nation. And he's doing it right now. If there's ever been a time that we need some blood-bought, Bible-believing, Christ honoring, Christ following, sons and daughters of God. We need it today. We need it today. The foundation of a happy home. We see that there. But also I want you to see the fun in a, in a happy home. And, and, and I don't want you to miss this one because I think we have missed it for far too long. The fun in a happy home. There's two things that I want us to think about when we think about fun in a happy, in a happy home. The Joy and laughter. If a, if a home's happy, it's going to have joy that produces laughter. Amen? Now, how do we get joy individually in our own lives and also in our home? Well, let me give you a very simple formula that I heard Dr. Jeremiah give years ago. Dr. David Jeremiah says the recipe for joy in your life is Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. So you've got to get things in proper order. 
You've got to get Jesus first. Matthew 6.33 says that if we um, put Christ first, if we put God first and seek His righteousness, all of these other things that we worry about, that we want, that we pray for, will be added unto us. If you believe it this morning, say amen. You've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. You've got to keep Jesus first in your life. And, and Satan is always going to tempt you to put him in other areas, to put him somewhere down the line. Let me tell you something, folks. It's vital for my joy, and it's vital for the joy in my family that we keep Jesus first in all things. I think it was uh, Chuck Swindoll who once said that if Jesus is not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. He's got to be Lord on Sunday, yes. He's got to be Lord on Monday. He's got to be Lord on Tuesday. He's got to be Lord at night and in the morning. He's got to be Lord at your house and Lord in the church house, in the schoolhouse, at the workplace. He's got to be Lord of all. Now, we all need God's grace when we get a hold of that truth, don't we? Because it's very tempting, it's very easy in the world that we live in to put other things before Him. It's very popular to put other things before Him. But if you really want to experience all that God has for you, if you really want to walk in joy that is your strength, you better keep Jesus first. Others then come second. Brother, if you will, please put for me Philippians chapter number 2, uh, starting in verse number 5. Philippians 2, verse number 5. We'll begin reading there. What do I mean when I say others second? Well, look how the Bible puts it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Really what he's saying is, you need to think like Jesus thought, like he thinks. And anyway, he describes to us how Jesus thinks. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So what's the Bible saying? We got to put others second and we do that through service. How many of you know love is an action word? And if you're truly loving someone, it's going to show up in how you treat them. Listen to me, husbands. If you truly love your wife, it's going to show up in how you treat them. Wives, listen to me. If you truly love your husbands, it's going to show up in how you treat them. I've told you before, I knew my wife loved me because she told, tells me all the time. But let me tell you how I really know what my wife loves me, because of coffee. That's it. It became, it became came real to me one morning because I've, I've been a coffee lover for a while. I'm not just a coffee lover, folks. I'm a coffee addict. I'm... I'll be honest, I, I can't do without it. I love the stuff. I drink it all throughout the day, every day. I really like it. I don't know what I do without my coffee, and my wife knows that. Now, years ago, she didn't drink coffee. She does now. I've kind of got her to come from the dark to the light. Can you say amen? And she, she's on the, the good side of things now. She's repented and got that right in her heart, and now she does drink coffee. But used to, she didn't. Years ago, um, she would get up. I used to leave the house about... I don't know, 5, 5.15, something like that in the morning. My wife would get up before I left the house and make coffee even though she didn't drink it. She didn't even like it. But she'd get up and make me coffee before I leave. You said, brother, is that really a big deal? That's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Because that told me something. If she's willing to miss out on sleep and get up when she didn't need to just so she could make me some coffee, that meant the world to me. That act of service, that small thing was a huge thing when it came to our relationship. 
Never underestimate the power of the things you see as small. Amen? Matter of fact, since we're talking about relationships and family relationships, let me tell you how to have a great marriage. Try to outserve one another. Try to outserve one another. Because you love the other party, try to outserve them. And vice versa. If you'll do that, you'll have a happy marriage, a blessed marriage. A marriage that you enjoy and you don't just endure. We've got to put Jesus first. We've got to put others second. And the Bible says we've got to put ourselves last. You say, oh, no, wait a minute, brothers. Well, if I put myself last, how am I ever going to get ahead? Well, see, now God's, in God's economy, things work different than in the world's economy. Let, let, let me show what I mean. Philippians 2 and 8, watch what it says. But made himself, Jesus, um, and being found in the fashion as a man, meaning Jesus here, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. So what did Jesus do? He put himself last. He put himself last for everybody. The whole world. He tasted death, the Bible says, for every man. He took my sin and tasted my death so that I might experience life. He put himself last and others first. Now watch what the Bible says in Philippians 2.9. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Now let me ask you something. If God can exalt Jesus, can he not exalt us? If God exalted Jesus, if God the Father exalted his son Jesus, when Jesus chose to put himself last and others first and his heavenly Father, what he wanted first and then others second and himself last, if he can exalt Jesus by doing that, can he not do the same with us? Absolutely, and I believe you will. Let me tell you why. Jesus said it like this. He said, the greatest in the kingdom shall be the least, and the least shall be the greatest. Meaning that those who put God first, others second, and themselves last, God will recognize as great in his kingdom. He'll exalt them. Amen? And isn't that what really matters? That's what really matters. So we've got to have joy. How do you get it? Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Dads, let me tell you how that looks practically in your home. There's going to be times that your wife and children are going to want to watch something on TV that you don't want to watch. Matter of fact, you just don't, don't want to watch it. You hate watching it. I'm going to be honest with you. I love Christmas time, but I hate Hallmark movies. Love Christmas time. But I, let, let me tell you, it's the, I, can, I can pick it out. Just in about five minutes of the Hallmark movie, what's about to happen through the whole thing. Let, let me tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be a man or woman that's going to be from a small town, usually in the northeast corner of the United States of America. <laughs> and what, what they're going to do, they're going to leave their small town and go off to the big city and become very successful in whatever field they've entered into. And then they're going to get sick of the rat race of life in the big city. And they're going to come back home for a weekend at their parents' place or their family's place. And during that time, automatically, there's always going to be a Thanksgiving festival. <laughs> a fall festival, a winter festival, something. And they're all going to go to this fall festival, this winter festival, and when they get there, lo and behold, their old flame from high school is going to be there. <laughs> and they're going to meet up. And they're going to begin talking and 
right in the middle of them almost getting together, the, the man or the woman that was the old high school flame is going to find out that the woman or the man from the big city has another boyfriend or a girlfriend that nobody knew about. And so they come on the scene to the winter festival, whatever it was. And so then everybody's going to get mad. They're going to break up. And then right at the end of the movie, they're going to tell the old boyfriend to take a hike. And they're going to get with the old flame. And at the end, they're going to kiss and make up. Am I right or wrong? <laughs> now, let me tell you something. Listen to me. My wife loves that stuff. Enjoys it. She'll make cookies just for the occasion. <laughs> let me tell you what I do. I'm going to sit there and watch that movie and eat them cookies. Let <laughs> me tell you why. It's not just about what I want, right? Even in little things. Again, little things are big things. You put others first. It makes all the difference, believe me. Joy, that's what we want, that's what we need. Joy produces laughter. For so long, I think we've come to the place as the people of God that somehow we think it to be unholy to laugh, to have a good time, to enjoy ourselves. Folks, listen. If anybody ever had a reason to laugh, it's us. It's us. It's me and it's you. Look in Psalm 126 and verse number 2. Watch what it says. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Let me tell you what my prayer is for my family and for your family. I'm praying that there's so much happiness and laughter in my home that my pagan heathen neighbors hears the laughter that's going on and somebody says, man, God must be blessing in that household. I want that to be true of my home and your home, especially our church home. There needs to be some joy among the people of God. There should be. There should be. The Bible says that there is a time to mourn, a time to weep, but how many know there's also a time to laugh? Ecclesiastes 3 and 4. Let me read to you something that Ken Davis, anybody know Ken Davis? He's a Christian comedian. Years ago, we played some of his um, comedy here at the church on a Sunday night, if you remember. Listen to what Ken Davis said. Allow laughter to flood your home, and its echoes will last for a lifetime. Someone wisely defined humor as a way to recognize human frailty. I like that. Listen, he puts this. Humor is saying, I'm not okay, and you're not okay, but that's okay. God loves us anyway. I like that. That's really what it is, isn't it? He says, people who are secure in God's love and are aware of God's forgiveness are the ones free to laugh. Man, that's so good. He says, humor should never be used as a way to uh, avoid issues or as a weapon to hurt others, but it should be allowed to flourish as a part of daily family life. And I agree with that, brother. I want there to be laughter in my home. I want my kids to look back years from now as they look back on the memories they had in my home and remember the times we laughed together. Man, that's so very important. So very important. Laughter comes in the course of daily life. And in a lot of different ways that can happen. I, I, I pose to my children a lot of times daily dad jokes. Let me give you one of my favorites. Yeah, anybody know how to make a tissue dance? You put a little boogie in it. 
That's how you make it. That's how, I love that one. That's my favorite. I wonder in Hawaii, do, do people, do they scream out hello or is it just aloha? Uh, y'all will get that on the way home. Think about it. Think about it. Gage said a good one to his sister last week as we were writing cards to her at basic. You know what stolen cheese is, don't you? Nacho cheese. So uh, <laughs> there's, there's all kind of ways that you can bring laughter to your home on a daily basis. Let me tell you something, dads and moms. Don't be afraid to laugh at yourself. I'm convinced that the Lord has a sense of humor because I look in the mirror every morning. I know he's got a sense of humor. And it's okay to laugh at yourself from time to time. It really is. I remember years ago, I bought a new Tundra pickup truck that had four doors. And I'd never had a four-door truck before, before that time. They had just came out. And I pulled up to the gas station out here at Weston at the stock market. And I went in, um, got out, pumped my gas, went in and paid for it at the register. There was a lady when I came out that was at the pump beside me. I jumped in the truck and reached for the steering wheel and realized there wasn't one there. <laughs> now what I'd done is got in the back seat because I wasn't used to a four-door pickup. And I looked at that pump beside me, and that lady was down on, knee, on her one knee, just dying laughing. And I thought, you know what? If you can't beat them, you might as well join them. So I got out and laughed with her. It's okay. Laugh at yourself sometime. Don't be a stick in the mud, Dad. Don't be an ogre. You don't want your kids remembering you like that. Hey, have a good time. Enjoy life. It happens in the daily grind we need some laughter so laugh enjoy yourself don't be so serious all the time there's some serious things we discuss and we talk about sure but find time to laugh it happens not only in the daily course of life but it also happens at times of leisure and i'm talking about times of leisure times when you get away you know it's good to get away i can't believe i'm saying this to the church but you need to get away sometimes the problem we usually have with folks, a lot of times, they'll get away and then they won't come back. <laughs> get away, go on your vacation, have a good time. You may miss a Sunday or Wednesday, but then come back. Nothing wrong with getting away, but come back. <laughs> come back, all right? So, so now listen to me. Get away from time to time. I think it was Vance Havner that said, if you don't get apart, you'll surely come apart. I like that. He's right. You need to be apart from time. Get away from everything. Hey, spend some time with your family because it's in those times that's breeding ground for laughter and for joy. It really is. When everybody's doing something they enjoy and you, and you get to go to a new place, there's excitement in it, there's joy in it, and there's nothing wrong with it. You ought to take advantage of it. Now, I know we've all got excuses. Well, brothers, I just don't have time. If you don't have time, make time. Let me tell you something. You're always going to have a job and responsibilities. You ain't always going to have a four- or five-year-old. Let me say that again. You're always going to have a job and you're always going to have responsibilities, but you ain't always going to have a five-year-old. I, I had somebody tell me when I first got married as an older gentleman, uh, Bill Ginn, I, I've never realized just how much wisdom that brother had until I've got to thinking about all he said to me. But he always telling me stuff. He said something at my workplace one day. He said, son, I want to tell you something. And, and about two weeks and two foggy mornings, you're going to wake up and you'll be as old as I am. And man, if he ain't right, when he told me that, I wasn't married, didn't have any kids, and now I look back, and it seems like yesterday 
when he told me that. And now I have a wife, three kids, and one of them's in basic training. And I think, oh my gosh, where's the time went? You better make time. You better take time. To have some leisure time with your family. You say, oh, Brother Israel, now I'm, I'm working on their inheritance. I mean, I'm trying to leave them something. Great, fantastic. That's a good thing. But I'll tell you this, I'd rather live rich than die rich. Not, nothing wrong with planning for the future. Nothing wrong with wanting to leave your kids something. All that's good. All that's good. That's a great thing. But I want to tell you something. Take advantage of the time you have right now because it's so special. And it's fleeting. Tear one minute, it's gone the next. James said our life is but a vapor. It's like the mist of the morning. It burns away real quick. So, so remember that, moms and dads. Take some leisure time. Get up there and have a good time. Do some laughing with your family. I remember years ago, we used to do, we don't do it as much anymore because I might throw a hip out. But years ago, we used to do um, nightly dance-offs at our house. And everybody had to take part. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I won a few of them, but they were rigged. I never got the trophy. I never got the votes. But I can promise you, I was in it to win it. It's okay. Have a good time. All right? Laughter. The book of Proverbs says, does good like a medicine. Amen? Now then, listen to me. Get over this and we're done. Three things right here that we're going to see very quick. About laughter. First of all, laughter refreshes. Look what it says, Psalm 128, verse number 2. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, and happy shall you be. When you're fearing the Lord and doing what God wants, and God's providing what, what's needed in your life, and, and you're living the life he's called you to live, the Bible says happy you shall be. A, a fun in a family home and a happy home, listen, that refreshes you. Amen. Makes you happy. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Not only does uh, fun refresh, but fun also repairs. Watch what else it says. Look at the next part of this. And it shall be well with thee. What shall be well? Whatever's wrong. Have you ever noticed how just having a good belly laugh sometimes helps in a very tense situation? Sometimes you need that more than anything else. Fun, laughter, joy repairs that which is wrong. So take advantage of it. But let me, let me give you the last one now. We need to see, folks, the foundation of a happy home, the fun in a happy home, but also I want you to see the future of a happy home. Watch this, verse number five. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. You know what I've come to find out? If you've really got joy, I don't care if you eat a steak, or you're eating beanie weenies. You can be thankful for it and enjoy it the whole time. If you've really got joy, I don't care if you're living in a mansion on the hill or a shack on the countryside, you can really enjoy life to its fullest. If you've really got joy, I don't care if you're driving a new Cadillac or you're driving a 1974 Pinto, you'll be thankful for it and enjoy life. A happy home, listen, last, no matter what. It makes a difference today, but I'll tell you, it'll make a difference in your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids all the way down the line. Amen? Remember that. Ain't God good?
He sure is. All the time he's good. Be thankful. Be thankful. Enjoy life. Hey, enjoy a happy home. Amen? Everybody stand together this morning. In closing, I want to read to you something that was written by an unknown author, but boy, it's so good. We have taller buildings, but shorter tempers, wider freeways, but more narrow viewpoints. We spend more, but have less. We buy more, but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences, but less time. We have more degrees, but less common sense, more knowledge, but less judgment. More experts, but more problems. More medicine, but less wellness. We spend too recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get angry too quickly, stay up too late, get too tired, read too seldom, watch too much TV, and pray too seldomly. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and lie too often. We have learned how to make a living, but not a life. Isn't that the truth? That's the truth if I've ever heard it. I want to tell you what Jesus wants for you. Remember I quoted you that scripture about how the enemy attacks. The thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. The rest of that verse goes like this. Jesus said, but I have come that they may have life and life more abundant. If you really want life abundant, it starts with a personal relationship with Christ. It continues with keeping him as Lord of your life. I'm talking about master of your life. I'm talking about the top place and first priority in your life. If you want abundant living, it's found in Jesus. Let me ask you, do you know him? Have you trusted in Christ and know that you've been born again into God's family? If not, today's the day of salvation. If you've already trusted in Jesus as Savior, are you keeping him as first priority? If not, get it right, child of God. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. He wants to use you. He can use you. But he can't use you living in unconfessed sin. He can't. He can't. So whatever you need today, this invitation is for you. I'd love to pray with you. These altars are always open. Brother, play for us.